Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B, coming to you today from Miami, a very, very interesting guest who I just met today, and he has a very, very packed dance card of things that he does. <laughs> His name is Tavis Sage Eaton. Did I get Correct. your name right? Yep, that's perfect. Tavis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Tavis is a musician. He has created one of the most interesting charities that I've heard of in recent times. He's an ex-Marine, and apart from those things, I know very little about him, so we're going to have a bona fide pint with Shawnee B with an, almost a stranger. So okay, welcome. Okay, cool. Cheers. You were born in uh, Springfield. I was. I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. Springfield, um, the most common name of a town in ex- America. Exactly. Including um, the Simpsons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I like to actually refer to Springfield, whether this sounds dark or not, is kind of Depressionville, USA. It's like, get out of there when you're done with high school, otherwise it's trapping you and you're not gonna go anywhere. And I kind of joke about it. There's some lyrics in one of my songs where, you know, all the trees out there, not all of them, but most of them are weeping willows. So like even the trees are sad there. You know what I mean? Where where is it in Massachusetts? It's about two hours away from Boston. Right. And what was your childhood like? Have you (laughs) a big family or? I, kind of have a big family that I was never really very close with. My mother and my father were both party animals. They had me and they had a very destructive uh, relationship. Um, a lot of my music talks about it, but you know, there was just fights and beatings and- Were you the eldest? I'm the only. Oh, the only child. Yeah, okay. yeah. So there's one day that I recall when, I don't want to get too crazy with the, but my father had a phone cord wrapped around my mother's neck. I was a little kid and I ran up behind my dad and I bit him in his ass. I took a chunk out of his ass. And that's when he turned around and I remember he told me the story later on. He said, I, you know, I looked at you and I just saw like blood pouring out of your mouth. And then he was like, I stopped, I let go of your mother right there and I walked out the door. And like, that was that. He was, was the end of their relationship? Not the end of the relationship, but that's kind of him leaving. I mean, he was... I was with him again for a little while later on in life, but he was just, he was a renegade, he was a criminal. He ran around, he's been in jail several times. He recently, uh, about two months ago, passed away. Um, It's okay, I still haven't cried yet, it's a funny thing. I talked to several people and they're like, oh, it's gonna hit you, it's gonna hit you. But I haven't shed a single tear. And you know, that's just showing me that there was no real love there anyway. So what about your mother, how is she? My mother's in Eugene, Oregon right now, and right. she's doing great. They're living a really great life. She has a huge backyard and smokes pot still, you know. Was she, was she loving to you? My mother was loving, but also wasn't there a lot. I was, I was alone through most of my childhood. My mother worked all the time, and she was a waitress, so she worked night shifts. So even like through junior high school or high school, I would come home and she was gone already. Mm. And I'd have the whole night to myself. She wouldn't get home till like three in the morning and go right to sleep. I'd wake up, go to school. She just wasn't really around. But my mother finally did escape from my dad. She took us, this kind of changed the course of everything. She took me and her best friend and they decided to go to this place called Provincetown Mm -hmm. in Cape Cod. It's a magical place. This place is just so, amazing. We took the ferry there from Boston and you pull up and you're pulling into this town like you know you feel like you're gonna see Popeye walking down the pier. (laughs) My mother met a man, an artist, and uh, fell in love. 
this guy said, I am in love with you and I love your son and I want you to move back to New York with me. Excellent. And this was when I was maybe five, six years old. So we packed up all of our stuff and drove to New York City and he lived in a, in a loft in the Soho area when Soho was actually not cool. Right. It was very desolate yes, and yes. dangerous yes. actually when I first got there. But that really changed the course of everything, her meeting this man and his name is Brian Bomeisler. And this is the guy that introduced me to music and art and everything. Like the first songs I ever learned were, I was singing along playing Buddy Holly when he was right. strumming the guitar. I talk about the key to the direction my life took from, wow. from there because if I had stayed in Springfield, you know, something bad would have happened, you know? Yeah. It's funny, that, uh, quite a large, large, unplanned, but a large percentage of people I've interviewed for this series have been either only children or uh -huh. or somehow felt alone when they were kids. Really? For all the bad and, and bad things that maybe happened, mm -hmm. you become very independent at a very young Absolutely. age. Absolutely, yeah. You look back on it and you kind of go, yes, it was... It was maybe tough, but it has made me who I am. Yeah. This guy who came in, Brian, was he all the things that you had hoped from a father kind of thing? Did he become that guy? Yeah, I mean, I started doing all these fun things, you know? Yeah. He took me to the Bronx, I remember the Bronx Zoo trip. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll really talk about him for a second because I had gotten into comic books, you know, like every kid does. And I was in his living room one day and he was like, what are you reading? I was telling him all about this comic book I was reading. And the comic book was The New Teen Titans. And he was, you know, sitting there listening to me and I guess maybe he saw the passion in yeah. my eyes and I was really into it and he goes okay well thanks and a couple hours went by he took a walk and um, I hear him call me and he's like Tab come into your room so I walk into my room and the entire collection of the new Teen Titans like maybe 50 comic books wow. from number one all the way to the one that I was reading was like sitting there in my room and as I was going through them he was like the most recent one first and I was going all the way down and the first one it wasn't a cheap comic book and I'm going, th and I'm like four, three, two, and I was like Teen Titans number one. That, at that point, was probably the nicest thing that somebody's ever done for me. But on top of the comic book thing, he used to take me to the movies all the time. One day we went to see like one of the Star Wars when they came out and got home and he was like, have you ever seen Battlestar Galactica? And right. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And he was like, well, let me put in this tape. So he showed me this tape and we started talking about the spaceships in, the, in Battlestar Galactica mm -hmm. and then the spaceships that were in Star Wars. And he would ask me, what, what spaceship do you like best? Do you have a favorite of all the spaceships that you saw? And I was really into space and cosmology when I was a kid. And um, I picked the, the Battlestar Galactica battleship, right. battle cruiser. So a couple of days go by. Now he was an artist and he had a studio in the back of the loft. His mother is actually a, a famous author. She wrote a book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. It was like a best-selling book, and um, that's his mother. Her name is Betty Edwards. So he was in his studio, and I would hear him, you know, banging around and painting, and he does this really incredible art. He can also be found on, uh, on Facebook and stuff. So he was, you know, in the studio, and I, I, never, I hadn't gone back there in a while. So one day I'm in the, the other side of the loft, and I'm a little, you know, I'm a kid. He comes in, he's like, Tavis, come, come back here, I wanna show you something. 
he takes me in the back. Like, this is a story that it chokes me up. He takes me in the back, and there's a full life-size fucking spaceship built back in his studio. And he built me a spaceship out of what wood. What was his... Think about this, because it's interesting the way he cared for you, but he sounds like an interesting fellow himself. He, like he, he was, he was very, a kid at heart, or he wanted to give some love that maybe he didn't that get. That he didn't or, get, yeah. 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 It, it, could, it could absolutely be... He was the most loving person that I've, I've had in my life. Just this guy that my mother met one day at a bar in Provincetown. Amazing. You know, so... Tavis is also the creator and lead singer of a band called Push Method, and we're going to talk a little bit about how that band came to be. But I've asked Tavis to bring along today some of his music, and we're going to have some musical breaks like we have done on a couple of podcasts <laughs> in the past. So, Tavis, time for your first music selection from Push Method. First music selection. Let me go, let me run through, because I brought everything. I'm going to say, okay, I love a song that we have that's called Get Lost. It's about not letting technology take over your human instincts. The last lyric of the song is that I had to get lost so I could find my way back. This is Get Lost by Push Method.
Okay, so our dystopian mobile phone future as, <laughs> as brought to life there by the song Get Lost from Push Method. We'll have more from Push Method, uh, which is Tavis Sage Eden's band a little bit later. So how were you in school then when you got sort of stable? Um, I wasn't that good. You know how people are like, they say math and science kind of go together? Yeah. Well, math, hell no. Same. Um, science, absolutely. I like, like science. I was, I was very big with science. And creative writing was one of my favorites in, in school. But I was, uh, you know, I was like a C, B student, you know. Um, Again, a common thing on the podcast. A lot of people who I've been talking to. Really? Yeah. Do you have siblings? Brothers I have sisters? three sisters. And three they sisters. They are all okay. extremely academically clever. Really? I'm okay. the sort of mongrel who got like, <laughs> you know, C's. They were A's and B's across the board. But right, I right. joke with them that whilst they would probably outgun me in a, in a high-powered Greek and Roman civilization quiz or <laughs> architecture quiz, I will help right. them cross a road. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Apologies, Bronwyn, Carolyn, and Georgina, if you're listening. But no, they're cool, and, uh, and, uh, we're, but we are quite different. I mean, right. I, 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 am, I am kind of the black sheep of our family. Yeah. I'm the eldest as well. So. Right. Okay. Um, so in school was sort of same as me, C's and B's, but did you know that you were going to take, a, uh, did you know anything about what you were going to do with your future back then? Um, I, I did kind of, I knew I was going to be in the military. Why did age. you want to be in the military? <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I was obsessed with guns when I was a kid and I, I still am, even though that's, you know, were there guns around you? There was guns around me. My father had guns yeah. um, and he would give me one and just let me go. Right. Which you don't do to a, an eight year old, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, I was, I was obsessed with guns and then, you know, first it led from guns and then I figured out what guns were used for and they were used for war and then I kind of found out what soldiers and Marines were when I was at a young age and that's what I wanted to be and I, part of it was also about finding, you know, a family almost, something that I didn't have, 32 other brothers yeah, yeah. living in a squad bay together. Yeah. You don't hear much about somebody kind of obsessing and really wanting to be that and then also being in a, in a creative musical space but yes. that's were you, were I, I you had both music back then I was into music back then um, I was into like hip-hop music but I wasn't I wasn't doing it um, yet Tavis so. became a marine so what why because uh, the marines is a harder thing right. why, why why did you pick the marines over just to um, <laughs> it's funny it was uh, it was going to be the army. I wanted to go into the army and I was obsessed with like the special operations world in the army, special forces and stuff yeah. like that. But I knew before I did that, before I got to like special forces, I wanted to master basic soldiering is what they call it. So the infantry is what I wanted to go into. So I started doing my research on the infantry and the research told me that the Marine Corps is the craziest of all of them. At the time, you know, I was a different person back then, but at the time I just, I wanted to be with a bunch of crazy guys right. that wanted to go to war together. I like to refer to the Marine Corps, you'll hear this sometimes, this USMC, Uncle Sam's misguided children, you know? Okay. So that's kind of, that's one thing in Jarheads. You write and, you a know. song about that. Yeah, I have, I, I have, do have a Marine okay. Corps song. Maybe that'll be the next one. Okay. We haven't talked about you being a sporty person or a fit person. Like, how did you get through the training? Boot camp really wasn't that physically hard, but I was in shape 
I worked out for I was working out like right. a couple of years before I went in. I knew that you had to be in shape to do it. Um, there was some guys that you know fell back on the runs and couldn't hang with the physical aspect of it. But I did go to boot camp in pretty good shape. It was kind of a breeze. But the hard part of the Marine Corps or boot camp, I should say, is just the mental shock. Everybody says like, you know, your first couple of days there, you're thinking, oh fuck, I, this is a mistake. But then you keep Which going. Is part of it. Which is part of it, absolutely. And then you keep going and then you realize, wait a minute, maybe I'm good at this. Yeah. And how did you feel that day that you became a Marine? Because I hear it's a very proud It was, yeah, there was two two shining points in boot camp. One was I wanted so badly to qualify as a rifle expert. So there's three rankings of, right, there's sharpshooter, there's marksman, sharpshooter, and expert. And... If when you're a rifle expert, then you have the opportunity to go to sniper school or things like that. Qualification day in boot camp when I scored expert was, you know, I was obsessed with it and I I really put my mind to it. And um, so I qualified as expert and then the day you graduate, you know, you're marching down the parade deck, the parade field and... The white gloves. The white gloves, the dress blues, you know, and then they're like platoon 3093, dismissed. You take one step back, that's it you know you're a marine and everybody hugs each other and then all you want to do literally is like walk down your block in your dress blues and go visit your high school in your dress blues you know and uh, you went off and did uh, two tours uh, three tours two in Afghanistan and one in Iraq we're not going to go into that in too much detail Uh, instead we will probably play the song though about the marines let's do that instead cool it's called uh, box me up Box me up. Tell me what that's about. It's just kind of about uh, Marine Corps mentality, and just some cool lyrics about you know some stuff that goes that goes on there, mm. and some of the nicknames that you give each other. Uh, okay. Yeah. This is Check Box Me Up by Push Method. Bet. 
An animal cage, more is rage, grenades waved. I'm in cannibal stage, devour MCs. Any hour, my power can't be detained. Remains of you cowards under the flowers. Shower, posse status, flat bush at ease. Salute your general, please. They can't knock down these towers. Sour. We do whatever that they don't allow us and burn down the houses of any trying to take ours. Tell me who look is determined. Here's a book for your learning. My fight, my struggle, me and Conf, the Brooklyn version. I'll be damned if I'm ever denied. If you try, then you die. Shit me home, pin no more medals up upon my chest. Tell my mama that I've done my best. If I die in the combat zone, box me up with time to shit me home. Pin no more medals up upon my chest. Okay, box me up there. Um, and we are now back with Tavis, who's come back from his marine duty, which was how many years did you do? Four years. Four years. Is that a yeah. standard amount of time? Or? Four years is the minimum amount right. you can enlist. You can sign up for four, six, and eight years. Right. But, you know, why sign? Eight years, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, what if you hate it? I wanted to get the hell out. Like, right. a, lot of, a lot of guys, not because of anything tragic that happened, you're just over it, yeah. you know? And I joined the Marine Corps to experience some certain things, and I did. And they weren't what I thought right. they were gonna be. You know what so I mean? So what age were you when you came out of it? Uh, 22. Wow, okay. You're, you're, you're a kid. And you're going young, you, and you leave young. Did you find it hard to come home and adjust back into life? Yes, adjusting was difficult. Where did you go, where did you live? You know? So when I came back, I went to Brian Bullmeister's house ah, okay. and I lived with him for a little while. Adjustment was difficult. I didn't know what the fuck to do. I didn't know how to get a job. All I knew was high school, you know, and then you go in the military. Yeah. When you come out, do you, what, get a job, there do is, what? I've heard before, though, it's a sort of a, you know, I've got to be careful criticizing the military, but, you know, there's a feeling that they're, they're looking after people who are that young and saying, how to get, here's a job if you want one. Absolutely. You know, there's. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Here's a job. Yeah, they have, I mean, it's, it's a problem now. And I don't know, I don't know what's going on with, with guys coming back. And you know, the suicide rate is, yeah, yeah. is incredibly high. It's like 22 PTSD per day and, that, yeah. and PTSD. And it's like, but why, has, why is this generation having trouble dealing with it 
the Vietnam War veterans, not to say that those guys came back, you know, yeah. but you don't, you didn't hear about the suicide rate being that high. And then yeah. as you go back in time, it's almost like guys were tougher back then. And now we're just a little bit more mentally well, fragile. Well, you've also got to remember that back then there was lots of jobs. There was lots That's of true. things for people yeah. to do. Yeah. And also things like PTSD, were, there wasn't much known about it. And so you had to kind of pull yourself together. And there yeah. was that kind of a... Well, whereas I think also, which is good today, people are encouraged to, uh, you know, if you're not feeling right, then speak up and someone will yeah, right. hopefully come and take care of you. I mean, I sure. think that that's what you would probably get from certainly the Vietnam era. A lot of guys just lost and just oh, not being yeah. able to feel that they were even able to get any medical or that there was anything. They were the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you heard just stories about those guys coming home and being spit on. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, that yeah. didn't happen for yeah. us. So it was definitely harder for them. But... Yeah, you have you know your average kid who goes to high school. After high school, he joins the military, he's in the army or the Marine Corps for four years. He goes to war, yeah. and he comes home, and so far he's still a kid, you know, inside, like physically, 22, 23 yeah. year old that's been through Hell. more than a, your average man in his 60s. You know what I mean? What? Did, and where did you land? I landed. I had I had issues. I had issues with post traumatic stress. So I went through I went through a tough time. You could you know I was cutting myself up, a lot of drinking, yeah, a lot of other things. Yeah. But really, kind of what helped me a lot was music. Yeah. So that's kind of where music play, started to play a really important role with me. I was going to therapy. One night, I was having a really really bad night, really hard night, and. Um, I was, I didn't think I was gonna do it, but I was standing in a really high peak and I called 911 because I didn't know what I wanted to do at that moment. <clears throat> Cops came, I, you know, I was like, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not doing this. I'm not gonna go over this edge here. So I, I came down, like, you know, as I saw cop cars coming, I came, I went down. And I walked out the front door and they were like, are you Tavis? And I said, yes, I'm Tavis. What's going on? And I was like drinking and just angry. Anger, I'm still dealing with anger issues. And uh, so they were like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I had the smarts to call you guys. So I just want to stay home and everything's going to be fine. Like seeing you guys come down the block is really what turned that for me. I was like, wait a minute, like wow. these guys are, the cops are coming for me because I called 911, you know? Yeah. So they saw these injuries on my arm and they were like, well, I'm sorry, but we have to take you with us right now. We can see that you're, it's something they have to do. Yeah. Well, if anything uh, did happen to you. So yeah, if anything away, did yeah. happen to you, but they, they were like, we see mind. that you're can hurting, that you're, you are hurting yourself, mm -hmm. so we have to take you. They put me in an ambulance and they drove me to the VA in Manhattan. I was living in Brooklyn at the time. Right. This is why I don't like the VA, and this is, this is a good point on them, you know, looking after our veterans. So they take me into the VA, they set me down in like Just the waiting area. Just for those listening who don't know what VA is. Oh, it's a veterans hospital. Veterans hospital yeah. in New York, yep. So I'm sitting down in the kind of the waiting room, they go through the system, they find my name to just to make sure that I'm not some, you know, guy just lying about it or, or just walking in off the street and uh, they're like alright the doctor's gonna be right, right with you and I sat there for four hours mm. and I was like I'm gonna go 
I'm, I'm gonna walk out of here right yeah. now. I wanna go home. Yeah. It was like five in the morning, Yeah. right? And they were like, no, you can't, you're not allowed to leave. I was like, yeah, but I've been here for four hours. You guys, you're not doing anything right yeah. now. Finally, a doctor came down and he was like, you know, what's going on? How are you feeling? I was like, I'm better, I wanna leave. All right, you're gonna be okay? Yeah, I'm fine, all right, you can leave. Wow. So it was just like, Fuck you, man. Like, you just had me sitting here, like, you know, waiting in but a... Imagine how annoyed the cops would have been if they'd known that was what happened. Yeah, right. The cops had brought you in. Yeah, they brought me in and they just left. Yeah. But they told, you know... But the, they did their job. This guy yeah, didn't right, do right, his right. job. Yeah, right, right, right. So, yeah. I, so you I had nights so, like this where you were just lost. I had some, yeah, I had some tough, some tough nights. Yeah. When you did know, the dawn come? Over time, it didn't come. It wasn't like a, you know, one day I'm... I found myself and I'm yeah. better. It was, it was a process of, of healing. But like I was saying, I, you know, when I got out, I started writing music and my therapist was like, why don't you start writing down how you feel? Right. Um, I actually, I don't play any instruments. You know, I, I rap and sing a little bit. Right. So I started writing all this stuff down and everything I wrote down turned, in, turned into rap. And then that was kind of the birth of Push Method. Down the line, I started recording music out of the studio in Manhattan called The Cutting Room. I had one song that I wanted somebody to sing on. And I had a mutual friend introduce me to this, this dude by the name of Dusty, mm -hmm. Michael Dustinuri, who is now founding member, member of Push Method. We went in, we recorded this song. The engineer in the studio was like, you guys sound great together, you should form a band. What? We did, and we found a bass player and a drummer. And then we just started going to rehearsals and we- How long ago was this? Method. This is about six years ago. And you're all still together? We're still together, yeah. Right. Well, our drummer our drummer left to go to move to California. Right. He, um, he went out there, started a family. So, yeah, we recorded that first song. You know, we knew we had something. Dusty and I are, we're totally, we're completely different people. Dusty was brought up in a, in a very loving, family um, he's from Dallas they're well off and he was raised with a lot of love and toys and gifts and so you know Dusty was very nurtured and I was you know the opposite but um kind of how push method the the road is taken is a little it was it was tough to one to have money to do all of it mm -hmm. um, recording and were you working at the music stage? videos? I was working at the time. Yeah, I was working um, for uh, Scholastic book right. publishing company, right. Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was working for them, doing IT like AV work, okay. audiovisual stuff. Okay. Okay. I had been there for a decent amount of time, and I went to my HR rep, and I was like, "Look, I put in some good years here, but I don't want to work here anymore. But I don't want to leave empty-handed." And they really liked me there, so they offered me a package. Like, usually you have to get laid off to get a package. Yeah. But I went to them and said, hey, I want to move on, but I want something. And I just had a good relationship with, with them there, and they gave me money. They gave me a package to leave. That money started Push Method. Well, there you go. Yeah. Those business owners that are listening, there's one company that did the right thing by somebody and it was put to good use. Yes. This is a good segue into the hoodies story. Let's go there. Yeah, hoodies. So, band was formed. Uh, we started rehearsing, getting nice and tight, getting clean sound. And uh, we started playing around New York City. Mm -hmm. Now, we're one of, you know, 10,000 bands playing in New York. Nowadays, 
nobody's really going to watch you or, or pay attention to you unless somehow you get lucky. A lot of bands that make it made it because either they had a connection or they had some money invested in them or whatever. We tried that a couple of times, but we just weren't getting there. Dusty's family helped us out with recording and shooting a music video and stuff like that. So I've always had this thing where I wanted to take music and turn it into action. And I wasn't sure what that action was going to be yet because I don't want the music that we make to just be something that people listen to. I want it to be something that they listen to, but also know that that music is doing something, like making something happen. Mm. And I've, I've always had an issue with the homeless. Um, growing up in New York, I've watched the homeless population explode, especially over the recent years. But when I was living in Soho, there was a homeless man that slept two doors down on the floor, like on top of a subway grate to stay warm in the winter. And I would see him every day and I would give him money every day or every day that I could. I mean, one, I remember one like New Year's Eve, I gave him like a $50 bill. That felt, that felt good to me. You know, whatever he's gonna do with the money, maybe he'll have a good night. So that guy was there and he was, he was in bad shape. It looked like he was an inch away from death every day I saw him. I'd wake up to leave in the morning and he'd just be laying and there'd just be vomit and urine running down the street. So I never knew his name. And then one day I left and he, was, he wasn't there. And he wasn't there the next day. And he wasn't there the next day. And I knew in my gut he just didn't make it. Something happened. So that's kind of a, a story that I always referred to when I'm talking about why did I want to start helping the homeless mm. um, because of that and just seeing it explode in New York. I wanted to take music to use to help that cause. And uh, I came up with Hoodies for the Homeless. We started playing shows around New York, but asking, asking the people that come to our show to bring a hoodie to donate to the homeless. And we did our first Hoodies for the Homeless show at this place called The Hoodie Shop and Lower East Side, and um, without much promotion at all, we collected over 500 hoodies that night. The band did like an in-store event, and people just showed up on like a freezing cold night in February in New York City. So we knew we had a, we knew we had a platform there. We knew we had something. I mean, cold. I'd segue just a little bit briefly because yeah. I mean that homeless thing. It, yeah. it is something that is utterly, in my view, fixable. Yeah, there should be a far better situation as it applies to people who are out in the street than there is right now. Absolutely. I mean, they can build it out. I mean, I, I, had, I, I went to successive insurance companies way back before corporate social responsibility was on the agenda for brands. Uh-huh. GIO, AMP in Australia, if you're listening. And I said, you know, we have to have a mission. We're a home and car insurer. Let's just say we believe everyone has to have a home and let's spend the next 20 years fixing homes. How yeah. do we do it? I don't know. We get architects to build cheap prefab things or whatever we do. Mm -hmm. But let's be the insurance company that believes everyone should have a home. Yeah, sure. Yeah. There's an, there's an idea. That's it's a great idea. It's not going to cost you shit yeah. loads of money. No, not at all. But it's just, it, you know why it is? It's because almost, it's like your guy. They're just going to use the money you give them to buy drugs and get drunk. Yeah. You know, right. we've got a built-in excuse not to give alms to homeless people. Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah. And, and you know, when I was in China, the people on the streets were women with little kids trying to give them away. Now wow. what do you do? And when you're walking Whoa. down the street, the little kid grabs your leg. Oh, Jesus. And the mother's going, please take him. 
Oh my god, right? man. Yeah. I mean, how... Oh, they're just going to use it to get... No, half the time those kids are stolen, I found out. Oh, and half wow. the time the mothers aren't even their mothers. Right. I used to go around, myself and my girlfriend, just handing out little parcels of food with toys in it. Because uh, the pimps who were running these... Because there it was, it was stuff like that happening. Wow. Well, you can't take the toy off the kid and you can't take the food out of it. They'll eat it before he comes back. But right. Yeah, so this, this homeless thing. So anyway, tell me what happened then with your first batch of hoodies. How did you get them out there to the homeless? We started going walking around and handing them out. But then we knew, you know, we had so many that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't do that. So we found an organization called Coalition for the Homeless. And what they do every night at six o'clock on 51st Street in Manhattan, they have kind of a, a free food distribution yeah. thing. Over on Park, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah be, yep. Yep. Yeah. You see them lined up yeah. right outside of like a church, church building. Yeah. yeah. So we bring all of the hoodies. They come and they pick them up. I actually I store all of them in my my storage room in Havas, and I have to. Oh, I definitely want to get into like how Havas is supported this so, thing. Um, Thomas works for Havas, which is a big uh, French ad agency, global French ad agency, and he works for their New York office, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So they would come and pick up all the bags from the building and bring them over to the food distribution center. We would meet them there. We'd set up tables and separate the hoodies by color and size. The people would come in. We like to call them clients. They yeah. come in and they walk around and they grab a nice big meal and they come around to the hoodie table and we have an assortment laid out for them. And it's the, the biggest payoff for me with this whole thing is, you know, they'll come up to you and one, they're thankful, but two, they're like, can you help me find a purple one and medium? Yeah. And you, you know, they're you're shopping. right there. Yeah. <laughs> and you're looking through and you find a purple one. And this is the really cool thing. They go, thank you so much. And they put down their food and they put on the hoodie. Brilliant. right there before they walk out into the cold yeah. and they're like yeah. like I'm putting this on my body right now yeah, yeah so you have the so you have push method and uh, the, the hoodies for the homeless as two things this is the dawn I was talking about right you now have purpose back in your life yeah? yes yes oh and, absolutely I mean it just the importance of having purpose yes when you come back from the army and you're not really being helped you the main problem you probably had I'm not sure what you're psych would have told you but you probably just were mi missing this purpose missing a purpose you know, missing getting, a why do I get up in the day what, what yeah. do I have to do every day yeah how did yeah. the whole how did the whole thing start merging then together with hoodies for the homeless and the, and the band and the band became your two priorities in yeah life, right? well because the, the way we got people to come out and bring hoodies was push method would perform so we would perform you know and and promote it and try to get as many people as we could out to a show um, the second event that we did was at this place called Brooklyn Bowl, and we collected over 1,200 hoodies that night. Right. You know, so the band performed, people came out, they had fun, they cleaned out their closets at the same time. And how you do know? you clean the actual hoodies? Do you have to someone do that? Um, we actually people we asked them to bring a clean hoodie, yeah, like yeah, a, a nice yeah. clean. Yeah. And a lot of people Buy went out and bought new yeah. ones yeah, 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 yeah. to bring yeah. it. You know, because they just like what's going on. And so we we've given out over. You know, tens of thousands of really? hoodies now. And is it yeah. starting to spread around the country? Right now, it's it's really based in New York. We're doing a show for the Havas Boston office in November, and then on December 11th, this is a really cool one that we just we just confirmed at MetLife Stadium, Giant Stadium. Yeah. The Giants play the Cowboys. Right. And uh, 
the Giants work with an organization called New York Cares, which is a really big, it's kind of like the biggest charity group yeah. in New York. And so they had to talk to them, but December 11th is going to be Hoodies for the Homeless Day right. at Giants Stadium. And I think they're going to promote it on social media and ask all of their ticket holders to bring a hoodie. If half the people brought a hoodie, that's 40,000 hoodies. Wow. And Push Method is... Halftime show? In line, no. I, I mean, I would love halftime at the 50-yard yeah. line. But <laughs> we are, there's two entrances to the MetLife Stadium. One's the Bud Light entrance yeah. and one's the MetLife entrance. And the Bud Light entrance has a big Bud Light stage. Yeah, yeah. So we're in line to Brilliant. play to play that stage the day of the game. And I heard something was brewing with Hanes. Yeah, so this is kind of what I was hoping to get into here. Right. So why don't we try to design a hoodie specifically made for living on the urban streets. They make hoodies for camping, but camping in the woods and living on a sidewalk are yeah. completely different. So I came up with an idea of designing a hoodie with technology built into it. Wow. And it's pretty simple, you know, solar paneling on the hood. That paneling can attach to coiling within the fabric to keep the hoodie warm Brilliant. all night long. We want to try to talk to Fitbit to see if there's a little device that can be built into the sleeve that will read a person's vital signs. Um, maybe an alarm that would go up. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. Or maybe something that automatically calls, yeah. the, you know, an ambulance or whatever. It's amazing the hood, technology, like when we start really thinking about it, yeah. it does allow for all these things that we just haven't applied it to yet. Yeah, we haven't know? applied it to a lot yeah, yet, yeah. you know. Um, a hood that will blow up into a pillow. Brilliant. You unzip the bottom, it falls onto a sleeping bag. Yeah. It's got a water bladder in it. Yeah. So, well, again, back to my yeah. insurance company guys. Yeah. They could buy 10,000 of those yeah. twice a year or something. Yeah, just right, before, right, right. Just before fall. You know, exactly. So, um, where do you see it all? Where's the future? What's your future vision for the whole thing? Do you want someone to take it over and run it properly, or do you want to keep doing it the way you're doing it, or do you want to start running it yourself? Or I'm, I'm running it myself now. Right. We've recently signed some papers with Havas, and Hoodies for the Homeless is an official client okay. of Havas Worldwide right. right now. The CFO said, I'm not giving you a fucking dime, but you now have Havas, you have the Great machine department. of Havas behind you. Right. Media, marketing, creative, and um, so, You've had a massive life, I'll, I'll let you go, just with, but I'd like, like to get some, even though you're still young, just some wisdom about what you would say to either your younger self or, or even someone who was maybe going through some of the difficulties you went through in your life. Now that you're kind of out the other end, what would you right. pass back? Um, you know, it'll sound cliche, but you know, just keep, just keep going. I hate when, when I get advice from, from somebody, I had a, yeah, pick yourself up, mate. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, pick yourself up. Like, yeah. you don't know what the Get fuck you're it. talking about, you know? Yeah. Or like, keep going, man. Keep yeah. fighting. Like, yeah. I've fought I've fought for this and for Push Method and for Hoodies for the Homeless four times longer than any of the other people that I admire that have made it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. An example that I use is, is like Eminem. Like, yeah. he's a rapper. I'm a rapper. Eminem was famous years ago. And I'm a little bit younger than him, but... I've fought for something five times longer than he has. I think my childhood has a lot to do with that, being alone all the time, and definitely the mentality that the Marine Corps gives you because that's like, don't, you can't quit. It worries me a little bit because above it being a passion and loving what I do, 
there's a fine line between passion and obsession. Yeah. And it's like, I'm almost slightly obsessed with this yeah. being something big now. Because if it doesn't, then I'm gonna feel like I didn't, I didn't finish. Complete your mission. Yeah, mm. you know. We're going to complete our mission here today on A Pint with Shawnee B. Thank you very much, Tavis Sage Eaton, for appearing Thanks on the so show. Much. We have one last song to play us out from Push Method. The best of luck with uh, Hoodies for the Homeless and the band and the future of your life. And as I said, if you need anything from me or if I can help in any way, I'd be more than happy to do so. Tell us about the song we play out to. Okay, this song is called Chill Drop. You ever have those moments when you're sitting there and you're just kind of staring and but you're not focused on anything you know and you see people all the time like that and you you know wave your hand in front of their face yeah so i call that a chill drop right. where you've kind of let go of everything nothing's bothering you da, da, da. no one ever talks about it. i don't even i'm sure it has a, a name i don't even know what it's called but well if it isn't it, called anything it has a name now <laughs> it has thank a you name. very much buddy thanks a lot look after yourself great to meet you you too Spinning, 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 back to the beginning, spinning, spinning, back to the beginning.